You're listening to the Sunday service at the International Evangelical Church in Finland. For more audio and visual content, visit our website at church.fi. The way we continue where we've been leaving two weeks ago, remember the mountaintop experience that... Peter, James, and John had the so-called transfiguration of Jesus. And now they're going down the mountain. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders to not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. And when they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them. And the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder. They were somehow surprised. Maybe Jesus showed up and they they just didn't know where he was coming from. But all of them are running to him to greet him. What are you arguing with them about? Jesus asked. A man in the crowd asked, answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who's possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked the disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not do it. Oh, unbelieving generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? By the way, this is clearly indicating that Jesus trained the disciples to continue his ministry and not do it forever here on this earth. He's doing it with us and through us, through his spirit. But Jesus, from the very beginning, was very clear. I'm here only in a short while, and you will take it on. So Jesus is a bit desperate, frustrated. How long shall I put up with you? Strong words. Bring the boy to me. So they brought him, and when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It's the, the spirit has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything... Take pity, have compassion, and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for him who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief, or simply help me in my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the evil spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit straight convulsed and violently came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him to his feet. The word here is the word for resurrection. And he stood up. 
And after Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? And Jesus replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. Lord, we ask you to open your word to us. Lord Jesus, we ask you to raise our faith, to help us in our unbelief, to strengthen our faith, and Lord, to reveal to us who you are. In your name, amen. William, so the clicker doesn't seem to work, be working, but let's see what we can make of that. Um, today I would like to talk about uh, lessons from the valley, believing in Jesus when we are at our lowest. Where's that title coming from? Um, if you remember some weeks ago, uh, we talked about knowing Jesus. The, what does it mean to, if you go to the next one, what does it mean to receive a hundred times over? That was Peter's question, what's in for us? And, and we talked a little bit about also what Peter, uh, Paul writes about. His goal is to know Jesus, that, that's, that's it. Uh, then uh, a week later, we looked at the mountaintop, lessons from the mountaintop. We, we joined the disciples and we looked into what is happening on this mountain, this utterly, absolutely unique event when three disciples see for a moment Jesus in his glory. And, and we've been ending already on that note that as much as Jesus' glory is revealed over there, and sometimes we have these experiences, um, maybe not exactly like, like on that mountain, but there's these mountaintop experiences, but then always we have to go down into the valley. And so this is where we are today um, to learn lessons in the valley or from what can happen in the valley. But let's go to a question, and a similar question I've been asking at the very beginning. What is the strategy when you face um, a crisis, when you face a mass? And what is your strategy when this crisis involves your faith or a lack of faith? What do you do then? Are you shocked? Are you giving up on faith? Or are you kind of resigning, saying, you know, well, you know, God is somewhere there, but it seems that, you know, I'm not such a, a good Christian, I'm not such a good follower of Christ, I'm not so spiritual, so um, nothing I can do about it. The first thing we can take away from this is that we should not be surprised if these things happen. You know, when, when people come to faith, sometimes they think everything will be easy from now on. That's why, again, on the Alpha course, um, after the Alpha weekend, after the Holy Spirit weekend, we talk about evil and we make it very clear that it is something that in our walk with Christ, we almost can expect that when he is leading us to mountain top experiences, we learned two weeks ago that this often is a moment of preparation, then typically <laughs> the journey goes down from the mountain into the valley. And there waits the next challenge. And as we continue our Christian journey, actually the challenges increase. It's not getting easier, it's getting more difficult. Of course, the hope is, or the invitation is that as we grow in our faith, Jesus grows us through his spirit to cope 
with greater responsibility and also greater difficulties. Jesus himself, he is going down the mountain and he's headed for Jerusalem. It's getting more difficult for Jesus. Um, the disciples have been, Mark tells us a few chapters earlier, been sent out to heal people, cast out demons, and it worked. And they're totally amazed and they say, this is fun, Jesus. Greatest idea ever to join your ministry. And now they're in this moment and they cannot drive out that spirit. The challenge increases for them. Um, Mark has been telling us that many times when Jesus is ministering, people come to faith. Now here we have, or they come to Jesus already with faith. Think of that soldier, think of that centurion. Here we have a father who's absolutely desperate, but who's struggling to have faith. It's getting more difficult. And we shouldn't be surprised. When Jesus approaches and then when he tells uh, the people to bring the son who's possessed by a spirit, when the spirit sees Jesus, he is, um, he's raging. So actually, even when God's presence is entering a situation, sometimes the first thing is, that is happening is a storm before anything constructive happens. Don't be surprised if you experience that. Don't be surprised if that happens. Don't be surprised if um, after maybe sometimes a season where you think, I, I grew my faith, I learned something, I'm, I'm equipped. You, you come to a moment where you realize, hmm, I didn't expect it to be so difficult. Nothing is wrong. It's part of the Christian journey. The second thing to remember is that um, debates are not the answer. When you don't know what to do, when you have doubts in faith, um, you cannot um, discuss them away. Or we cannot solve that with discussion. Again, if I think of the Alpha course, we have people coming with the questions. And yes, we provide some answers, but we know 100% that at the end of the day, only Jesus, through his spirit, can really provide an answer. He can make an answer alive. He can bring something um, about. You know, probably, um, that's what the old sources tell, tell us, Mark has been the one who has been recording, or has been walking with Peter for some while, because Mark tells us, that same story that Matthew and Luke tell us, but he gives us much more information. There's many things that he seems to know that really suggest that he was listening to someone who was really an eyewitness. And since Peter was probably the one who shared that with Mark, Peter was on the mountain, so Peter would not have been able to tell Mark why there was this commotion. We learn a bit about the why, but we don't really know what happened in that situation. But I was just wondering. So the disciples were there in the valley, close to a village, um, they had, you know, gathered a reputation for walking with Jesus, um, of, of being empowered by him, given authority by him. They had been healing people. They had been casting out demons. They had been proclaiming the good news. So, completely normal that even while Jesus was not there, people were bringing people to be prayed for, to be healed. That father brought his son. He was expecting to meet Jesus right away, but there were only his disciples. And he thought, well, you know... These are the Jesus people. And I wonder, how was it for these disciples? So they said, okay, you know, easy peasy. We know what we do. Let's cast out the demon. And it doesn't work. 
embarrassing. And then there were the critics, the scribes, who have been criticizing all the way, who cannot wait for Jesus to make a mistake, or, uh, you know, maybe the disciples have sometimes also a bit cocky and overconfident, and now that's their opportunity. Now they can point out that, you know, you can't heal. You have no authority. Maybe somebody said, well, that's, that's maybe not a spirit, that's just a sickness. Maybe they had also these people around. Super, super embarrassing. And what the disciples do is they debate, they argue. You know, that's, that's sometimes that is so easy. When you don't know what to do, sometimes before we go to Jesus, we rather start a debate. A theological debate, a debate about the state of the world, a debate about the coronavirus, a debate about the state of politics, a debate about the state of the church, and we lament and we moan and, you know, we have different opinions, but um, debates don't get you anywhere. And I have to say, I sympathize with, with the disciples. I, you know, I, I could be doing that myself. But it's so powerful when you then remember that Jesus is not there. Being a follower of Christ means to walk with Jesus. And we will see what, what, whatever happened there, but discipleship, following Jesus, without a relationship with Jesus, is empty and is without power. People who believe that God exists, that Jesus exists, who call themselves Christian. But if it's just talking about Jesus and not walking with him, there's no power. You cannot walk in the works that Jesus has prepared for you if you're not in a relationship with him. And then Jesus arrives, and right away, everybody turns to him. He brings his authority in this situation. And I thought, how encouraging is it that even when people maybe sometimes are disappointed with us, even when people sometimes are disappointed with the church's inability, with maybe IEC's inability, with my inability, with your inability to help the situation, Jesus is competent. He is the one who is able, and he will step in. So focus on Jesus' ability, not your inability. Focus on what Jesus is able to do. But then we learn that when we have these crises, we really have to bring our pain to Jesus. You know, there's this father who is, who is allowed to bring his heart. Jesus listens to him. He wants to know story and it's a personal encounter and it's honest and if you go to the next slide we, we see that you know as the father is just bringing up more details it's since childhood since childhood if you're a parent think about what that means to you what that would mean to you maybe some of you have that experience since childhood one of your children has been struggling what pain and Jesus listens Last week, we are having these special services here and, and then one in Espo, sitting around tables in Espo, and we're praying for each other. And then I had a sense that um, I had a word for one person sitting there, and as if Jesus was saying, um, I'm with you always. You can be honest with me. 
And, and I had not a chance to tell that person because just when I wanted to tell it, that, you know, we moved on in the service and then I always forgot, every day I forgot it, but then every morning when I was getting up, I was, that's the first thing I remembered. Monday I remembered it, forgot to tell the person. Tuesday I remembered it, forgot to tell the person. Every day I couldn't shake it off, so I thought, last night <laughs> I was saying, okay, this is not good, I'll, I sent a message. I said, you know, that's a word for you, test it. And right away the re response was, that's exactly what I needed. I needed to know that I can be honest with Jesus. That I don't have to hide, that I can bring all my brokenness, that I can lament, I can shout my frustration, I can say, Jesus, this is not okay, I don't like this, I hate this, this is wrong, and I can say this to Jesus. And he's not angry with me, he says, come, I'm here for you. So when you're in the crisis, bring your pain to Jesus. Don't keep it. Don't think that your prayers have to be holy politically correct. Bring it to Jesus. Next thing we learn is that you're invited and encouraged to go with the faith you have and that means not with the faith you don't have. There is, you know, this one of these conversations that even, even people who read very little the Bible, know very little of the Bible, many people know that conversation, that exchange of words. If you can do anything is the father telling to the person that we know as readers of Mark's gospel just a few hours earlier or day earlier has been revealed to Peter, James and John, James and John in all his glory. He's talking to the creator of the universe. He's talking to the son of God. If you can, if you can do anything, even if just anything, is there anything you can do? And Jesus says, if you can, the expression Jesus uses is like, actually, well, you know, let's, let's discuss what, what you mean by that. What does it mean if, if you can? Everything is possible for, for him who believes, so actually that's a way you can translate it. And that's probably what Jesus means. Everything is possible for me to do for the one who believes. He's been asking Jesus if he is able to do anything. It's not about the ability of the Father. It's not about the ability of the disciples. It's about Jesus' ability. And Jesus says, well, everything, everything is possible for me to do for one who believes in me. Apply that to your situation. What is, what is your mess? What is your pain? What are you struggling with? Jesus is saying to you, Everything is possible for me. Everything. I can do everything for one who believes. It doesn't mean that Jesus promises you to do exactly what you want him to do. But he says, I'm able to do everything. I'm able. But I find it so encouraging, as we go to the next slide, that as, as this man, the father, comes with his raw emotions, with his raw struggle with faith. He cries out, I, oh, I, I believe, I want to believe, help me in my unbelief. He, he, he shouts that out. He's actually the one who has the mustard seed of faith in that situation. And that's enough for Jesus. It's not about our 
insufficiency is about Jesus' sufficiency. It's not about our inability, it's about Jesus' ability. It's not about our powerlessness, it's about Jesus' power. And Jesus is not judging you when, when you say to him, Lord, I'm really struggling to believe in you. Or I, I believe in you, but I'm really struggling to, to believe that you want to do anything about it. Jesus is not judging you. He is glad when you come to him. By the way, that is, that's a good way how we ought to read the Bible. You can read the Bible and on every page you question yourself. And you say, well, that verse tells me that I'm not enough. And that verse tells me that I'm not good enough in praying. And that verse tells me that I'm not good enough in exercising my gifts. And that verse is telling me that I'm not committed enough. And that verse and that verse. Or you read every verse as a reminder that no matter who you are and where you are, it is about Jesus. That's what Martin Luther, the uh, famous guy that the church in this country is named after said, well, if you take your Bible, what you look at is what Jesus is doing. When you pray, you pray and you think about what Jesus is doing. That's the only thing that you want to be concerned with, to know, to see, to believe what Jesus is doing. Nothing else matters. Don't look at you, look at what Jesus is doing. And faith, in a way, is, faith includes knowing our inadequacy. That's part of faith. But bringing that to Jesus, in a way, risking, that's what the Father is doing, he's risking the little faith he has. And he is rewarded much more than maybe somebody who would have more faith, but is never risking that faith. Who still thinks it's not enough. The Father risks the faith he has, he risks the unbelief he has, he risks the doubts and comes to Jesus. And he is rewarded. He's blessed by that. And even after, you know, after the, the spirit is driven out, it looks as if the boy is dead, but Jesus raises him up. So even if the situation that you're in or that you're looking at or the relationship you're looking at is dead or seems dead, it doesn't matter to Jesus. You, you're, you're talking to the one who overcame death. So bring your pain and go with the faith you have. Go with the faith you have. Go with the faith you have. Not with the faith you don't have. Don't think about the faith you don't have. Go with what you have and bring it to Jesus. But then we learn a final lesson. And that is um, the one that I've been thinking of most. And that's about prioritizing prayer. Now Jesus says, as they have this discussion, and the disciples, they really, they must have been absolutely puzzled. And they can explain why in one situation, they were able to drive out the spirits. They were able to do everything Jesus has been telling them to do. And in another situation, it doesn't work. They want an answer. They don't understand it. They're puzzled. And, well, you know, Jesus tells them basically because that challenge that you have been now facing is greater than the challenge you have been previously facing. That it was a challenge for you to grow. And he is making the point that this kind can only come out by prayer. But the interesting thing is, in that whole account, Jesus is not praying, is he? There's not one word about Jesus praying in that very story. Luke tells us, Jesus went up on this mountain where he was transfigured to pray. Mark doesn't tell us that, but you know, granted, Jesus and the disciples, they might have been praying on the mountain. Of course, Mark tells us throughout his gospel that Jesus was frequently praying. 
uh, in the first chapter, there is this unbelievably ministry day when people bring the sick and the possessed and the lame to Jesus and he heals everyone. And um, it, it sounds like kingdom is coming. And then very early in the morning, Jesus goes into solitude, he prays. Uh, very soon he's interrupted by the disciples and he's saying, hey Jesus, let's continue the ministry. The next round of people are standing, they're waiting for healing. The, the same stuff that we had, did yesterday, it was absolutely amazing. These people want more. Hallelujah, the kingdom is coming. Jesus, let's do more miracles. What is Jesus saying? Let's go. We have to go elsewhere and I have to preach the gospel. He's leading an absolutely amazing ministry opportunity, it would seem, because in prayer, in conversation with his father, he learned what would be his next step, his next priorities. And we see Jesus doing that again and again. At the very beginning of his ministry, before Jesus does anything, he is thrown into the desert to be tempted, but he is praying and fasting for 40 days. Uh, I've been thinking of Pastor Linus. I don't know if you know him. I've been once having a conversation with him. He is very often called when um, people are in need of deliverance ministry, of a spirit, a demon, to be cast out, because that happens today as well. And I've been asking him, what is this experience? What is this learning? And he said, well, the one learning I did over the many years that I've been doing that is that you have to prioritize prayer. You have to prepare in prayer. Prayer is preparation. And if you face challenges, you have to prepare in prayer. He was saying sometimes when I'm called um, by, by friends or someone, because there seems to be a spirit at work, when I pray and when I fast, I often get a very clear picture of what is actually going on, of the nature of that spirit. I get a very clear word. And usually when I come to the place, I'm prepared, and I know that exactly what is going to happen is going to happen. Prayer is the necessary preparation for that stuff, but for any crisis we can face possibly in our life. And I think that is why if you go to the next and last slide, when Jesus comes to the scene, when he finally addresses the spirit, you know, Jesus doesn't lay on hands. There's not, you know, he's not doing a lot of things. He's just saying, definite spirit, I command you get out. And he leaves. Because the battle was won before in prayer. Jesus, in his prayer life, has won that battle long before it happened. And, and that is why we need to learn to prioritize prayer. We've been having enough family with my wife that is question. How can we prioritize prayer more in the business of our lives? Because it is so important. Um, I've myself one or two messy situations, and then somebody was asking me, what can I do? Is there any way you can help? And I had to learn. I said, well, the only thing I can I need is your prayer nothing else because I've learned that the only thing that helps in that situation is prayer and if we do the other way around if we from that understanding start to prioritize prayer that is what will prepare us better than anything else for the crisis and miracles follow prayers
It's not the other way around. Sometimes people say, you know, I would pray more if I would see more miracles. If you want to see miracles, if you want to see breakthroughs, if you want to see things change, prioritize prayer. That is a strategy. And often it's good to do that together. You know, there's, there's many ways that we can pray and we want to in the next weeks and months think about, you know, can we do that more practical in our service, teach on prayer, but also really pray together because it is so important. It is the thing that we often neglect, but it's the most important activity of our lives. There's nothing like prayer that can prepare you for the struggles of life because prayer is faith and prayer is having a relationship with Jesus. At the beginning of the story, the disciples are alone. No Jesus. And discipleship without Jesus is powerless and empty. At the end, Jesus talks about prayer. Because prayer is a relationship with Jesus. And in that relationship, all the power of the one we are following through his spirit is at work. Let us pray. Lord, we, we thank you for your word and we thank you that you gave us this teaching, that you reminded us of this one priority. Lord, you also reminded us that challenges will come in our life and even in our faith. And if anybody is here who has been growing despondent because of their struggles and challenges, Lord, um, would you reach out to them? Would you remind them this is, this is what happened to you and this is what happens to every follower of you, but you give us a way to respond. You give us a way to face these struggles and that is the relationship that we have with you and nothing grows our relationship with you like prayer. And Lord, it is encouraging that you had to teach the disciples to pray. It is encouraging that in that moment they didn't know what to do. They had to learn another lesson. Lord, we have to learn lessons from you. We continue to need you to teach us how to pray. Holy Spirit, we, we invite you. Would you work in us? Show us in our week, maybe now as we're praying, what is the day in our daily, what is the time in our daily routine? What is the day in our week when we can prioritize prayer more than we've been doing? When we've been struggling to pray alone, what is the person that we could go to, to pray together? But then as we pray, would you prepare us? Would you teach us? Would you let us hear you speak into our lives? Lord, we pray for the weeks, the month ahead of us, that as a church you would stir us to pray in a new way. You would teach us new ways to pray. That you would help us unlock this gift that you've given us in a new and powerful way. So that your name would be glorified. So that as we minister, we would do it in your power, following your commands, being obedient to your words. And also that as we pray, we would see breakthroughs in our own life, in the lives of the people around us. That we would see healings. That we would see what only you can do. But Lord, we understand that you're inviting us into a closer relationship for you, because that is which will unlock everything else.
do your work in us. Holy Spirit, be invited to, to draw us closer. Stand, let us sing. You're listening to the Sunday service at the International Evangelical Church in Finland. For more audio and visual content, visit our website at church.fi.